Blog Talk Radio. podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike on Thursday, May 10th. This is Rich Farago, otherwise known on Twitter as MetFanRich, and tonight I'm all you've got. Sam and Mike both cannot make the show tonight, so I will be um, carrying the load, but I I say that uh, almost as hyperbole because I have some very, very talented help to help me carry the show this evening. I'm thrilled to be joined by a name and someone uh, well-known to Mets Twitter and Mets fans, and that's Karen the Coop Cooper. Um, I'll say a couple of words about my good friend Coop, and then I'll let her uh, introduce herself. But Coop is well-known for My Summer Family blog, as well as a gal for all seasons, which uh, she's done both over the years. Coop and I have been friends now. I was, I was on my abacus today, Coop, and I, I figured out that we've been friends for eight years. We met mm-hmm. in the blog. And, uh, you know, the friendship has extended well beyond the Mets into other activities. So um, it's great to have you on a podcast with Sam Rich and Mike, a Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike tonight, Coop. And and please take it from here. Tell everybody a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you for the intro. I, I really appreciate it. And um, it's funny, you keep saying a Metsian podcast with uh, Sam, Mike, and Rich, but really at Rich, but that's totally fine. I'm cool with just a third of it, but I do, um, I do hope to get on the show one night with Sam and Mike, cause I miss them too. Um, you know, we were, we were just talking about how we're kind of keeping a low profile, uh, on social media these days. And I don't really know if it's, it has something to do with, uh, just our, our teams kind of sucking the life out of us as the Mets are want to do, uh, over the years. And, you know, for, for those of you who might follow me on gal for all seasons, I'm also a Seattle Seahawks fan and New York Rangers fan. And it wasn't particularly good seasons with neither team who are usually locked for the playoffs did not make it to the playoffs. So, I mean, first world problems, but it's all good. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of just, you know, JKL, you know, just keep living. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been going to uh, many Mets teams. How many home games have we been to this year? I'm going to my research assistant. How many? Okay. Yeah. So we went to, uh, we've been to six home games and we, <laughs> we went to a disaster of a series on the road, two games against uh, St. Louis this year. Yeah. That's my life as a Mets fan. They, they torture me and yet I spend vacation dollars going to see them on the road. And that's all you need to know about the coop, you guys. <laughs> well, and that's a very modest intro. I mean, you've done a lot of stuff, um, you know, on Twitter and, and, you know, with your writing and all of that. So, but, but let's, let's jump in, Coop. But, you know, you and I have so much to talk about here. Um, when the Mets are bad, they always give us more to talk about than when they're good. And I, I think that's probably yeah. the same to be said about any sports team. But, but the Mets are just a magnet for bad. And, um, and then that becomes mockery and talk and all of that. And, and certainly – that's what's going on today. So while there are several gorillas in the room, let's talk about the biggest of the gorillas in the room, and that would be 
the um, oh, what's a nice word for it? The unfortunate incident in yesterday's game <laughs> about the uh, the lineup card thing. And so, for for anybody listening who doesn't know exactly what happened, I'm going to try to say this briefly and then go to you, Coop, for your reaction to it. So the manager the managers handwrite the lineups before every game. They then give those lineups to one to the umpire, one to the other team, and that's the official lineup for the game. Now, before all that happens, once the manager handwrites that, those three lineup cards, he gives it to someone else, and that person puts it in the computer, and then a computer printout spits out. And that's what we see on TV when they show the dugout. You see the computer printout taped to the wall. Well, what happened was somebody transposed or, or transtyped Flores and Cabrera, and so what was posted in the dugout, what the guys are looking at, you know, thinking that's the batting order, was not the batting order that was given to the umpires and to the Reds. And after a cabbie double in top of the first, Jay Bruce, the innocent bystander in the whole thing, about, you know, stupid baseball rules, they called Jay Bruce out. He did nothing wrong. He didn't bat out of order. But the way the rules are, the guy with the bat in the hand is the one called out. So, Coop, you know, I'll tell you my perspective, then I really want you to run with this one and, and say whatever is on your mind. But my perspective is, if the Mets won that game, we'd be giggling about that, saying, oh, my God, only the Mets, ha, ha, ha. But now it's infuriating because they lost the game to a terrible team, eight out of nine losses, frittered away their 11-1 start, all of that. So I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to sit back and listen, and I want you to go with this one. So go ahead, Coop. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm happy to do it. So it, it's kind of funny when um, uh, it's just to give you a little bit of a brief background. Um, I work from home most days, and I had I had it in my head that I would be home by first pitch. Unfortunately, just life got in the way, and I wasn't. And by the time I did get home, uh, my husband Ed Lairo, who's also a blogger, he's studious mythimus, uh For those of you following at home. I also call him my research assistant, so you'll you'll hear me sometimes during a, a podcast yelling to my research assistant because he's really quick with the staff, like right up top of his head. Anyway, I walk in, and I guess it was it was still pretty early in the game, like maybe the second or third inning. So I just missed that shit show, right? So I mean, you probably remember years ago. I believe it was in Cincinnati that Willie Randolph forgot to signal the d- double switch in two thousand five, and. Yep. You know, then like it, it all hell broke loose from there. Well, this time Mickey Calloway say, "Hey, hold my beer. I'm gonna fuck up even more and give the wrong lineup card." I mean, I didn't even know that was possible in this day and age. I I was when I walked in, Ed was like, "Did you hear about what's going on in the game?" And I'm like, um, "No." And he, I mean, because I mean, CBS Sports, I, I get the you know score alerts. They're not necessarily gonna jump in and be like, "Ha ha," and that's you know handed in the wrong fucking lineup card. Um, that said, um, he, he was just kind of like, yeah, you know, this, that's what happened. He goes, do you know what happened? And I'm like, well, no, because clearly all of us have, you know, graduated from Little League at one point, so we try not to do that shit in the big leagues. Um, I was kind of shocked that that was how they handled it, you know, making sure Jay Bruce got out, um, was actually credited with the out, and then you, you take that double away from ASCAB. It, it just... I mean, you're right. It is infuriating now that they lost that game. Um, and on, on the other, on the other note, you know, if they won, it would have been. I, I mean, yeah, we might have just been like, oh, ha ha, they'll never do that again. Well, now they'll never do that again, and, and they lost. 
And I think it was something that Keith Hernandez brought up during the game was, what if Jay Bruce at the end of the year is hitting 299, and it was that one at bat that he was credited with an out that he really didn't make an out is what's keeping him from hitting three, you know, get, getting to the 300 point this year. That was something that, you know, that I also thought was a good, good point as well. But man, you know, when you think that with all the advanced technology and, you know, the, the different ways that we look at the game today, the one thing that you think that they're not going to mess up is the damn batting lineup. It's like, it, it is infuriating. And I mean, when we say only the Mets, like I don't think it has this like literally ever happened before. I mean, maybe back in the day, I I don't know, but it, this, I mean, it's now a punchline, and that's you know that's what the Mets have kind of served us. You know, I mean, Rich, you've you've been a Mets fan a long time. I've been a Mets fan a long time, and I would say the majority of my life, the Mets have always been a punchline. So there you have it. Um, you know, the Mets lineup card. Another punchline that the Mets are going to known for, you know going to be known for Willie Randolph not signaling his double switch. That's another punchline. It's ugh, it is it is infuriating. It is, and so now we have to go to the second gorilla in our little cage of gorillas, and that would be the fact that an eleven to one eleven and one start, which became a twelve and two start has been frittered away to a single solitary game over 500. And, and it's happened in a way that, um, you know, being swept on a six-game homestand, losing two out of three to the worst team in the National League. Um, it, you know, the, the negatives are so strong with this one, and there's so much bad over the past three weeks with this organization. So I'm going to ask you to, to talk about that. So, let me know what you were thinking when they were 11 and one and 12 and two. And I know you long enough to know you'll be honest. I mean, I'll tell you my, I, I was sold. I thought the team was postseason bound and, and all of that. So let me know how you felt at 12 and two and let me know how you're feeling now and what got you there. Well, I'll be honest. I mean, it, I will say, you know, the first 14 games into the season, they were fun to watch. The, these were the types of games that we should have had, in 2017 and, you know, the less aggravating wins in 2016, it it should have been like that at at some point I felt, but I'm not going to say that I was exactly sold. There, there was literally one walk off that I got really excited, but I think I just, I just like happened to get sucked into the moment. Um, That said, I don't think I was, I was officially sold. I think I'm more of a Mets realist. You know, there's always going to be an optimist. There's going to be a pessimist. I'm, I'm more of a realist because there's never done deals when it comes to the Mets. It's always, let's see. <laughs> and it's very easy, you know, the, the, as the saying goes, you're not as good as you look on your best win streak. You're not as bad as you look on your worst losing streak you're somewhere in the middle. And I kind of felt like if they had gone on a run like that in say July, we might've had a better idea of the type of team that the Mets would be uh, in April. I try not to get too emotionally involved in it. Um, I mean, there were some fun games. Don't get me wrong. And it was exciting to see the, you know, the, the, uh, what do you call it? The, the pitching rotation of the ages, was finally, you know, the big five, they were finally able 
to, to stitch together a few turns in the rotation, which was something we've been waiting for for a very long time. And due to injuries and uh, injuries, I mean, really, I mean, that's, that's what it was. Lost that Wheeler and Matt Harvey and Noah Syndergaard last year and even DeBrom a few years ago. It's, you know, it was really exciting to kind of see that all come together. But, of course, Mets fans can't have nice things. <laughs> so, you know, out of that rotation, Matt Harvey, who we thought, remember, five years ago, the All-Star game, he was, he was the guy. And now he's with one of the worst teams in baseball. Uh, you can't script baseball. Um, so I'll, I'll just say that, you, you know, to, to that end, you can't script baseball. And it's interesting because a month ago when I was looking at the, the calendar, I went, oh, the Mets are going to be in Philly. I was just in Philly a couple months ago, and I had a really great time. Of course, I didn't do anything related to sports there, which is probably why I had a great time. And then I said, wow, you know, I had a really great time in Philly. Maybe we should go to that series because we're probably going to kick the Phillies' ass that weekend. Ha-ha. Yeah. <laughs> Kapler's looking like a genius over there now. They were ready to chase him out of town after the second game of the season, if I remember correctly. And now, you know, the Mets are a punchline due to the to the lineup card. I mean, now this is an important – we're going to be, like, scoreboard watching in the second weekend in May during this series. Um, so that was kind of like my roundabout way of saying I, was, I wasn't entirely sold. I was more of a let's see because this, this could be interesting. Yeah, and I think that's the healthy perspective. I, it's a healthy perspective for any organization in April, but – I guess the reason I was buying it was I was desperate to buy it. You know, in other words, I was looking for anything to latch onto, and that was something. The fast start was something to latch onto and say, "Wow, you know, uh, my two, my 2017 pain is about to be abated by a good 2018." And I guess it was wishful thinking. So now let, let's go to the next one. Um, so we've talked about the lineup card snafu. We've talked about the fall from grace um, of the organization and fall in the standings, more literally. So, so let's go to a topic that uh, I think you're going to have a few things to say about. So let, let's go to Mickey Calloway. And let, let me preface it by saying, here's a guy that, you know, when the Mets hadn't made any player moves, the, the joke was, but we hired this handsome, dashing, well-spoken young manager. We got this guy, right? No, oh, you guys should love our manager. Okay, great. Then the Mets went and signed a few players. So, but Mickey just seems to have it, you know, whatever it is. He has that charisma. He's likable, all those things. And lo and behold, the first week of the season, if you remember the series in Miami when he sent Conforto up against a left-handed pitcher, uh, in, as a pincher, Conforto up to pinch it with the Mets behind, and they bring in a lefty. And instead of going to Flores, who was on the bench, who murders lefties, he leaves Conforto in. Twitter's blowing up, like, what's he doing? Why is he going lefty on lefty? This guy hasn't even had a spring training. What does Conforto do? I believe he doubled down the left field line, and Mickey looks like a genius. So Mickey had the Midas touch, and we all loved Mickey. And Mickey was funny, you know, and he giggled, and he has a funny laugh and all that stuff. But Mickey has run the gamut, as Sam was saying. Um, Mickey has run the gamut already from being the charmed, everybody loves him, to it's like, what in the hell is this guy doing? 
You know what I mean? It's like, what? <laughs> think about some of the stuff he's done. I, I think the game you're referring to as the walk-off had to be that freezing Sunday against Milwaukee when Flores walked it off. I think that's the only one they've had. And, mm-hmm. and if you think about that game, that was the game where he sends Jay Bruce up with Cindergard. Bruce is up as a pinch hitter. Sends him as a pinch hitter with Cindergard behind him. And I, it was second and third. So naturally they walked Bruce. So Bruce is lost for the game. Cindergard comes up and makes an out, and it's like, what are you doing? You know you're going to lose this guy for the game, so they're going to walk him. But they won the game, so it's like, oh, Mickey's fun and he's handsome and all that stuff, so it's great. And But now that they're losing, you know, the the lineup card shit, um, some of the other stuff he's done, there, there, was a, there was a situation very recently where he clearly screwed it up. I mean, he clearly didn't realize about a double switch. Or, I'm forgetting the exact situation, but in the past few days, where he made a move in game and it was like, what are you doing? It's like, why did you, you know, not double switch there? And, and people are saying, well, you know, it's catching up to him being in the National League. So tell me your thoughts, Coop, on um, not, Mickey himself, sure, but the, um, the transformation from, from Terry to Mickey and what your thoughts are on all of that stuff. Well, I'm so glad that you asked <laughs> because um, I, I, I'm the proclaimed Terry Collins apologist. I call myself the TC apologist. Um, I, I still defend the man. I still love him. I would probably cry if I ever saw him again. Um, Terry was entertaining. He was fun. But I understood why people didn't like him. So I'll just I'll leave it at that. Um, Mickey Calloway, I will say, um, to the credit of the of the front office that – he was somebody that I'd been kind of clamoring for. Not necessarily I said, we need to have that guy. Um, it was more of a, I wanted a thinking outside of the box. I didn't want an ex-Met. I didn't want a, an organizational guy who, like, knew the minors and knew the, you know, I, I just, I, I was kind of over that. I said, you know what, give me someone new, someone who's going to, like, not really look I mean, look at what's happened with Harvey. You know, he wasn't he was wasn't treating him with kid gloves. He wasn't treating him like the Dark Knight. He he was treating him like a pitcher that had lost his stuff. And I thought that's a real credit to a former pitching coach who's going to know his shit. Um, and I really kind of wanted like a a younger guy to kind of mm-hmm. go along with the the younger team that they have now. Um, you know, with a, with a bunch of uh, moving parts and a bunch of development, and of course the focus on pitching because the Mets are in a roundabout way trying to build around their pitching. Um, but I'm I'm actually kind of with you. Um, I while I I do like Mickey and I do like what he brings to the table. Um, it does take a lot of creativity and thinking outside of the box to be an NL manager with. The double switches, you've got the pitcher. You know, it's like it's kind of cute that he's having the pitcher bat age old after a while. It's like just put the fucker in the ninth hole. Like that's what you do. Um, and, I mean, and there's, uh, I guess, you know, and, the, and this is when my age comes, like my get off my lawn situation comes out because I'm like, you know what, I'm kind of a, an old school kind of gal about that. Just, you know, have the pitcher bat ninth. Like it, it was cute on opening day. Now it's like, all right, Mickey, you got to do something else. Um, I... I, I think, you know, his, it will come in time and there, there are days that I, I do feel like 
there were some days that I'm like, oh, holy crap, like he really gambled with that bullpen move, and if they end up winning, it becomes a non-issue. But, of course, when they lose, it becomes an issue. Um, you know, like, like you said, wasting Jay Bruce in that situation. Um, and it's just it's the stuff that he's going to have to kind of come to on his own. I'm not really willing to throw him under the bus yet. Um, but, you know, again, he's also contributing to the – all-time Mets punchlines with, oh, hey, how's the line of cards today? So, so there's that. But, you know, again, we do have that kind of charismatic kind of it factor with, with Mickey Calloway. Um, and there are, like, a bunch of first-year managers, not just in the National League, but we have one in the Bronx, too. You know, I don't really like talking about that team. But it's just it's kind of interesting that they kind of went with, like, this youth movement and don't have, like, these, Sparky Anderson, gray hair, Earl Weaver type guys um, managing in the big leagues anymore. Um, are, I, well, I shouldn't really say that because there are some, you know, older managers. We've got like contemporaries, like guys that, that we remember when they played um, managing. So I, I kind of like that about Mickey. Um, but again, I know the man's not going to be perfect. Um, and I feel like our, as a fan base, kind of giving him a lot of rope with which he can hang himself. I will leave it at that um, because, I mean, he ultimately managers get hired to get fired. And I think that's something that we have to kind of realize with Mickey Calloway is that he's not going to be the best manager forever. I don't care if they win the World Series this year. They're not going to anoint him manager for life just because they want a fucking World Series on his watch. I mean, I'd like that for that to happen, but that's, it's not going to happen. I don't care who you are. Not going to happen. So, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I am with, with Mickey at this point. Well, and I think that's fair. You know, And you think about the game two nights ago, Tuesday night, Mets cut the 4 nothing lead to 4-2, to two, and um, – and they have the bases loaded, two outs, and the Reds bring in a lefty reliever, and he sends Nimmo up. And it's like, oh, my God, dude, you've got Mezzarocco on the bench. Why not set up a right-handed hitter? Why are you doing this? Why? And Nimmo does not have good numbers against lefties. And Mickey's supposed to be the, um, you know, the analytics guy, the guy who gets the advanced statistics. Well, you know what? That's not an advanced statistic. We've had that since the, you know, the, since the 60s. If a guy doesn't hit lefties well, you might want to put up a right-handed hitter against that left-handed pitcher, especially when the game's on the line. Um, they had three freaking catchers on the roster that night, so don't, don't give me the catcher thing either. I mean, you, know, you, you just can't go down like that. You, know, you can't go down not giving yourself a chance to win. And, yes, it's one game, and, yes, there's, there's three quarters of the season left to go, but it's just it's frustrating. And you're right. The bloom is off the rose now, so when he makes a mistake, it's not, cute. It's not as cute anymore. You know, it, it's more of a he, – he's now getting the scrutiny that, that coaches and managers in New York get. It's just the way it goes. Um, all right, so let's move right. to the well, next I also, one. I also wanted to point out, too, that Monday's game, I really feel like he was trying his best to lose that game. Cincinnati <laughs> Reds, like, that's the type of series, if I, if I can just kind of tie this one up, it's, that's the type of series that you have to win. And not just win the series, you go for the sweep being one of the worst teams in baseball right now. And the fact that they didn't have that killer instinct was something that, that kind of that bugged me. 
um, you know, they, they had that like amazing game on Monday and they, they what was the, the score? I think it was eight, seven was the final score. Was it? I think it's seven, six or eight, seven. Yeah. So yeah. So it was like, it was literally like they, they won by one run. It wasn't, it wasn't even supposed to be that close to the game. <laughs> and then they, you know, they had the suck me pitcher, the second game, uh, shaky unknown chuckers kill mess every time. And then, you know, yesterday was was the walk-off loss. So, yeah, there wasn't a killer instinct there. What's up with that, Mickey? I know. We're going to get to that, too. So I have, we have a lot more to cover, and that's on my list. So, all right, moving to the next one. It's amazing with the Mets. Just in the shit that happened in the past week, we've, we could talk about it for half an hour. So, all right, <laughs> let's, um, let's go to Matt Harvey. And um, let, let's talk about the – the rise and fall of that young man. So we all know the story. He comes up in 2012. He gives us hope in, in the middle of a rebuild. And in 2013, which was a god-awful year for the organization, Harvey Knight, though, it was must-see TV, right, And until late August when he went down. And then he comes back in 15. He's dominant once again. He over you know, he pitched more innings than anybody who ever had on the first year coming back from Tommy John, and there was that whole thing about Boris and wanting to pitch and David Wright when they were in Miami, David Wright on the bench with him, you know, essentially what appeared to be saying you have to do this for the team, and, and he does. He goes out, he starts the first game of the NLCS. He starts game five of the World Series. Then he has a thoracic outlet, tries to come back. So in summary, before I go to you, my thought on Matt Harvey is, it's paradoxical because to some degree what happened to him is completely out of his control. He didn't try to get Tommy John surgery. He didn't ask for thoracic outlet surgery. And one thing I did not know until very recently is that when he was in college in North Carolina, he was pitching 120 pitches per start every for his entire tenure there. So the human arm, unless you're Nolan Ryan, who's a freak, the human arm only has so many pitches in it, and he spent a lot of them in college. And his body betrayed him at an unfortunately young age. So it's paradoxical to me because it's partially out of his control, but partially in his control. He doesn't help himself by saying, you know, I'm a starting pitcher. And he doesn't help himself with, with you know, going and partying in L.A. when the team's in San Diego and, not sh- and showing up late for a game last year. So I'm going to ask you to help me, help me gain clarity here because I'm on the fence with Harvey. You know, is it is it him? Is it unfortunate circumstances? Should we feel sorry for him? Should we be mad at him? I think most of Mets Twitter is mad at him. I feel I'm on the feel sorry for him side, but I want to hear where you are. Well, why can't we have all of it? <laughs> uh, that, that's kind of like my my favorite question to ask is why can't it be both? Um, you know, whether you're on the spectrum of feeling sorry for him, being mad at him, I'm kind of just mad at the situation. Not necessarily with Harvey. Um, I mean, overall, you know, just kind of like looking at things from a macro level, because on a micro level, I can analyze the fuck out of this shit. But when I look at it from like the top row, kind of look over everything, um, it's a, a disappointing situation. Here was this guy that we had heard about in the minors. He came, he started kicking ass and taking names. And there was Harvey Day and Harvey's better and this was our guy. And then he got hurt. Of course he was going to get hurt. He's a Met. I mean, this, I, I often say 
Like people will, will point to the trade of Nolan Ryan and be like, the Mets are cursed because they traded Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan, fine. Like he he was erratic. Like I can kind of understand why they traded him when they did. I mean, who they traded him for, that's, you know, that's another discussion to have. But I can understand why the Mets would have traded Nolan Ryan when they did. Trading Tom Seaver, you don't trade your fucking franchise pitcher. That's the curse, my friend. So this is why we can't have nice things. And, you know, you look through the history of all of the pitchers that were supposed to be these sure things. Even Doc Gooden, he got caught up in, you know, the drug culture. Then there's Generation K. And so on and so forth. So now that brings us to Matt Harvey. Like, of course he was going to get hurt. Of course something drastic was going to happen to him. This is what happens when the Mets put all their chips on this one guy to kind of carry the team and have that kind of, you know, influence change. Um, Now, as far as Harvey himself, like looking at him from a micro level, it is really sad. I mean, gosh, you know, it's bad enough that he had Tommy John, but we see – Pitchers come back from Tommy John all the time. And I would say in 2015, I was on the angry side of, of things. because I was like, what is he doing when they were like, okay, you know, innings limit and pitching limit, blah, blah, blah. And they're about to go to the playoffs. And he's like, oh, yeah, guys, have fun without me. It's like, really, dude? Uh, so you're kinda, you kind of get this idea that he's starting to believe his own hype that he can kind of make his own rules. And it's like, okay, at the end of the day, this is a team sport, and the team really got their shit together in the middle of the season and came back and they won the division with flying colors, marauded through the playoffs and sold the World Series. But here's Matt Harvey saying, hey, guys, yeah, like I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, no, you don't betray your team like that. But then he started having troubles in 2016, thoracic outlet and all that. Um, and he, and then it brings us to the present day. You would think somebody who was a lock, like that bad ass, that rock and roll that I keep saying, like the Mets, like front office always goes for like these milk toast, nice guys, like David Wright, who's like, golly gee, wow, we, I love being a Met. Here's Matt Harvey pulling up in like his leather jacket, black leather pants with like a cigar and he's on his motorcycle. Like, you know, imagine that caricature. That was Matt Harvey. And that rock and roll badass is who Mets fans gravitate towards. That's why we loved him. We, it wasn't, yeah, he was a great pitcher. We loved him because he was a badass. He could back it up. I understand taking a trip to the minors. He can, he can decline it. And that's his right as a baseball player. But man, it's like that. Something's missing here. You've got to get that mojo back. And he just didn't have it. And it was overall, like, I would say it was just the Mets organization, you know, the Mets throughout Mets history, it is just littered with a body on the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. And that's the cross street on Roosevelt Avenue in Queens and Flushing, uh, where Shea Stadium used to be. It's just littered with bodies of the next big thing, the next sure thing, and that was going to be Matt Harvey. And he had an opportunity to fix it. And, you know, change of scenery, my ass. Like, he's not going to – I doubt he's going to go to the Reds and pitch a no-hitter like Tom Seaver did. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think think that's there anymore. Um, And 
it's just it, it was disappointing um, to see that he just he didn't believe in himself. I mean, that was that was kind of, he wasn't betting on himself. He wasn't say he, you know he's like yeah you know I still got it. It's like no Matt, you really got to work on this shit, and he wasn't willing to do it. So I think in in some ways, yeah, it's disappointing that he didn't turn out the way we all wanted him to. Um, as a Mets fan, it shouldn't be surprising. Um, but yeah, it's it's I I'm kind of on you know the level of like I'm I'm mad that he didn't direction from the new pitching coach and the the manager who has an extensive pitching coach background, not really taking that to heart. You know, Boris is whispering in his ear saying, we can get you starting on any other major league roster, and I think that's what kind of got to him. Um, So I can be mad at that, but I can also be very disappointed in how everything kind of turned out for Matt Harvey because I would say out of – all right, so you look at, you know, the the big – you know, it, I guess essentially it's like the big four Four now. You've got Zach Wheeler, you've got Steven Matz, um, DeGrom, and you've got Syndergaard. And then there was Harvey. And, um, you know, you look at, at the four of them, and it was like DeGrom was the guy that we had no expectation for. And he comes in, he wins the rookie of the year, and he's like a lights-out pitcher every time he's out there, and he always will give you a good game. And it was like out of all of them, like Degrom was is now the sure thing. Like how did that happen? <laughs> um, and it, you know, when you looked at those five, you thought Matt Harvey was going to be the ace of that rotation. He wasn't, and I think that's kind of a loss that we're all kind of mourning right now. You know? Yeah, I think you're right because it's unfulfilled expectations, and and you're right, absolutely, because when this guy came up, and then you know the Harvey days, 2013. It's sad to see him be the one that falls, you know, of, of the big five, because he was the guy. And, and, you know, some people have given some really good perspective on this. He did, even though he came up in the middle of the abyss in 2012, he did give us something to hold on to and something to say, you know, the, uh, the better days are coming. And albeit with Scott Boris, you know, the devil and the angel thing with Scott Boris and one ear saying, don't pitch, screw them, don't pitch, screw them. He still went out in 2015 and, you know, and did the best he could and, um, and, and really laid it on the line. So although, albeit off the field, you're right, he had the mojo, he lost it. Albeit all of that, he did give the Mets everything he had. And I think for that reason, he's someone we should look back at fondly. I, I do. I, I think he gave the organization a lot. Uh, he, his body betrayed him. Um, and, you know, we're, no, nobody's perfect. You know, his off-the-field shenanigans weren't the best perfect. So I look at him as more of a net positive for the organization. Before we leave Matt Harvey, let me ask you to go in the drawer and, and get out your crystal ball. So if I were to ask you to say one of three things, tell me which one, this, which one it is. Harvey A, Harvey is done. Like what we saw is the guy at Thoracic Outlet, Tommy John, He's done. You know, he might last a year or two in the big leagues, you know, bopping around from team to team, but basically done. Option two, Harvey is a serviceable, will be a serviceable pitcher, maybe somebody's three or four starter, you know, maybe out in Seattle or wherever or, you know, uh, Anaheim or wherever it might be, three or four start, three, third or fourth starter. Or option, option C, 
would be that Harvey is going to work through this and he's going to return to some level of dominance. Which is it going to be? Um, I don't know if I'm, if I'm that optimistic. Um, I would say he uh, probably the, the option where he'll become like a serviceable starter someplace else. I would say that's probably the most realistic, but I actually have a pretty pessimistic view on Matt Harvey. Um, I don't think he's going to be in baseball for that long. I would say maybe, I would say maybe give him like another two, maybe three years. And I think like, in two years, he'll be begging for bullpen work <laughs> just to keep himself relevant. Um, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it was kind of like when when the Mets traded Scott Casimir, and he was still pretty active up until like a couple of years ago. Like he he had a few injuries, but he was still a serviceable guy. Like I could see him maybe being like a Casimir kind of guy. Um, but I don't. I don't really see Matt, Matt Harvey in baseball for that long. And I feel terrible saying that because that's, again, that's my Mets fandom, like, coming in, like, saying, yeah, this guy, you know, ready for the glue factory, you know, <laughs> it's, it's done. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I could, but I could, you know, like, realistically, I could see him going to a place like Seattle or Texas or something like that, like, kind of maybe having like a little bit of those flashes of brilliance that we used to see. I could see something like that happen. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I could see him. I I really like the Casimir analogy too, because there's, we all remember what, um, you know, what the Mets organization said about Casimir when they got him. Oh, I could fix him in 10 minutes. This guy's got great stuff. He's going to be fine. Well, that never happened. And, um, and so, well, and so now you look at somebody like Harvey, and if I'm a pitching coach on another team and I'm looking at the guy still throws 92, 93 miles an hour. He does. He still has a changeup. He still has a slider. He still has a curve. I'm thinking if, if I'm a, you know, a major league pitcher, you know, like a Mickey Calloway or serving as a pitching coach or a Bobby Ojeda or somebody like that in somebody's dugout, I'm, tell, I'm getting in the ear of my general manager saying, bring him here. I, I can work with this guy. Guy's got major league stuff. I know what I'm doing. I'll harness that stuff and make him serviceable. Um, so are you still there? Yep, I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I pressed the button. I, I'm glad I didn't lose you. So anyway, so I could see somebody saying, yeah, he's got major league stuff. Look at his track record. Bring him on. And, and maybe he does bop around in that vein you know, maybe he does go team to team because people are willing to take a shot at him or maybe what he used to be, and um, and he goes team to team and lasts a few years. I really like that, Coop. I really think that. I wasn't thinking that way, but I really like the Casimir analogy. I think that might be, that might be right. Um, all right, so let's move to the next segment of our little chat about the Mets, and, and we're going to play word association. I'm going to give you the name of a player on the Mets, and you just tell me what you're thinking of this guy because there are a few guys that are in the crosshairs of Mets fans. Um, right, we're shocked at it, but uh, you know, that never happens. Um, but there are a few guys that are um, in the crosshairs. You tell me what you're thinking and what you would do with these guys. So let's start at first base. What do you think of Adrian Gonzalez, Coop? Bye. <laughs> Adios. That's my word association. I'm kind of, I mean, I love Adrian Gonzalez, but I'm kind of over him. Why is that? I just don't think he he's, he fits in with the team. Um, 
he's almost I, I, except when he played in San when he played in San Diego when he went back home. We saw like the glimpses of, of Adrian Gonzalez, but I kept saying that you know Mets Twitter in 2009 would have loved this deal bringing him to the Mets, but I mean he's he's kind of he's I I just don't see him uh, being being serviceable. He's not an everyday player. He's not a bench player for crying out loud. I mean he he can't really hit water if he fell out of a boat these days. Um, <laughs> you know if, I I mean we might have to just you know, say you know Adrian adios. That's uh, that's kind of where I and I and it's, it's funny because I I do I like Adrian Gonzalez, but I'm like. You don't belong on my team, buddy. <laughs> you know, I like him, too. And when you hear him interviewed after a game, he's so politically correct, and I like that. Um, and he, you know, he does offer that veteran, I've been there, I've got a lot of hits, a lot of home runs. He does have some big hits for the Mets. You know, the grand slam against Washington, the uh, the home run against San Diego, uh, he had a couple hits opening day, so he hasn't been a total disaster. But I think you hit on it. I think what, what the issue is, is what's this guy's role? Like part-time first baseman, all right. Pinch hitter, yeah, maybe left-handed bat off the bench, but he can't do anything else. When you have bench players, a good bench player is versatile. Adrian is anything but that, right? So it's hard to... If he's not going to be, if you're not going to say, look, we believe in you, you're our everyday first baseman, maybe when there's a tough lefty, we sit you, but something like that, but you're, we're going to go with you fine. That justifies the roster spot. But to have him be a part-time first baseman, part-time pinch hitter on a 25-man roster, as much as I like the guy, I mean, ugh, I don't know. So, all right, so I think we agree on, on Adrian. But now the bigger question is what are the Mets going to do with him? Now what we think is logical, of course, doesn't translate to Metsville. So what are the Mets going to do? And that's that's a good that's a great question, and and that's kind of where where I'm torn with with Adrian Gonzalez. Hey, Dave, do you have any feelings on Adrian Gonzalez? I'm actually like we don't really talk about Adrian Gonzalez. I'm I'm going to my research assistant for uh, my uh, who who <laughs> who want, who wants to do what with Adrian Gonzalez? Who's making a call to the oh. bullpen right now? <laughs> I'm making a call to the bullpen. Um, I'm I'm not really sure because I don't can't trade him. You're not going to get anything for him. No, um, he has no value. But he costs nothing. You cut him, right? You don't really cut him because he's not making anything. Uh, I mean, uh, what are you what are you going to do with him? Um, you know, play play Wilmer every day at first base. Pull, put Jay Bruce there first. Uh, Jay Bruce there permanently. It's it's tough to to say what what to do with Adrian Gonzalez, and it sucks because eight years ago I would have loved him. I would love him on the I know, I know. I, and I, you're I'm right. Like, yeah, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. So I think I mean if we're kind of like signing our guts over him, like, well, he's not like necessarily bad enough that you could just you know cut him. You can just DFA him. You can't really trade him because you're not going to get much in return. He's cheap, so do you keep him around? But he, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like a circular reasoning. Like, we're just going to go on and on and on. So I guess maybe you just kind of hold on to him now and hope for the best and hope he comes through with a big hit somewhere down the line. I, I don't know. I don't know. Coop, you hit the nail on the head. 
every time I watch Adrian Gonzalez, I'm in the same quandary. It's like, yeah, okay, I like this guy, but it's like, but why is he here? I don't really want to get rid of him, but I don't really want to keep him. I'm in the same boat you are. I'm in the same boat. What you, for everything you just said, he's cheap. So maybe we should keep him. For 500 grand, you have a you have a professional hitter on the bench. But damn, I want that bench spot for a more versatile player. It's like I have these arguments with myself over Adrian Gonzalez. <laughs> and, like, uh, and why? Why? Right? Why? He's a nice guy. We like him. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, we'll move to the next player in our word association. So let's go to everybody's favorite punching bag these days, Jose Reyes. Go. I don't think you want to know my word association. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) That's what I call him. Um, Okay, uh, so we're saying, you know, that we're dining our our guts over Adrian Gonzalez and what to do with him and how the Mets should handle him. And, you know, we like him because he's a – it's like Jose Reyes needs to be gone yesterday. He just doesn't have it anymore. Um, You know, Ed Ed often likes to look at stats. I know that's surprising that the math guy likes to look at stats. And he'll often pull stuff up about Jose Reyes. What's um what where is he in the in the hit um category with the Mets like how close third. is third when is he close to overpassing Eddie Cranepool? Uh, no, yeah, so so that's the thing is that the only reason why we would keep Jose Reyes around is if he becomes the all-time Mets hit leader. So that's kind of where where I am. Like Jose Reyes, you want a word association? David Wright. Like ironically. The Mets held on to David Wright because he was the quote-unquote sure thing. Remember remember this, Rich? I know you remember it. They I gave do. him the contract. He never got hurt. And he was the smiling, laughing, happy-go-lucky, I love being a Met, golly gee, wow, we Mets fans are the best fans in the whole entire world. And they let Jose Reyes walk. And Jose Reyes came back because they played us for a bunch of snaps. David Wright was hurt. And they didn't think the Mets – in 2016, I will maintain, they were surprised as fuck that they made the playoffs that year. And that's why they brought back Jose Reyes, because he was making the bare – they were going to pay him the bare minimum because he got cut by Colorado. And now he might be that guy that David Wright was supposed to be. How funny is that? So he's like kind of like the anti-franchise player. You know what I mean? Like the the guy, you know, our, we often quote Steve Keen here saying, you know, Tom Siva is not going to live forever. Well, David Wright's been dead for like three years, and he's nowhere to be found. And it was so, oh, yeah, we'll bring back Jose Reyes. Sure. He's going to be the franchise guy now. But I, I think Ed might have some numbers for me. Ed, do you have a number here for me? Reyes already passed Rainbow. He did? Yep, last year. Oh, okay. So never mind. Reyes is number two in best all-time uh, hit Uh How funny is that? We missed that. He surpassed Eddie Creampole last year. So if he played more, he would surpass David Wright. Probably but would. If he played yeah. more, that's more. That's more time for him to get an out. So. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me tell you my thoughts on Reyes. I mean. I have a very visceral reaction to Jose because he's one of my favorites of all time. And I'm talking about on the field. Obviously, the off the field stuff is something different. But in terms of, you know, what he brought to the Mets, 
back in the day with the speed and the triples and the enthusiasm. And then when they got him back in 16, he really did a good job. I mean, he really did. And and last year, after that horrendous start, he hit 267, which 267 when you're coming from, you know, 090 is not bad. And he got more at-bats than anybody on the team. And, um, and so I really want him to be around and I want him to do well very badly. And every time he goes up there and he flails away or he pops up or he looks listless going after a ball in the field, I'm telling you, Coop, I feel physical pain. And I'm not, that's not exaggeration. It's like it hurts mm-hmm. me, like watching my son fail on the field. You know what I mean? It right, right. I want him to do well. He's a Met. He's a guy I wanted back on the team from the day he was gone. But it hurts me to see him in such decline. Because let's face it, the logical brain, the left brain, says you've got to get rid of this guy. There's got to be somebody who can do better than, you know, what's he batting, a buck ten now? There has to be somebody mm-hmm. who be better, Gavin Zucchini or whoever it might be. Um, but then the emotional brain says, oh, you know, let him have another couple of weeks. Because you know, he had that game in San Diego where he had three hits. And he had the home run, and it's like, ah, that's my guy. He also stole a base in that game. And I'm like, that's the guy. But it's just so few and far between now. And to watch him and think about what he used to be, it's just so difficult. It bothers me. And, um, and, I, and But I think we're of the same mind. On, you know, If you want to think about what they talk about, you're out there to win games and put the team in the best place to win and all of that, I think you have to think about moving on from Reyes as much as it hurts. Um, and I think it's funny that, that you, you say like you, you just feel like just physical pain, like when he fails, like you fail, you know, it, 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 it's very tied in. I mean, and that's what we do with Mets fans, but I, and you, and you know me, you've been, we've been friends long enough to know that I kind of attach myself to sort of like, the guy that nobody really expects to do well, you know, like I was like a big Mike Pelfrey supporter and Jonathan Meese. And I, I was like, when they would do poorly, I felt like it was a reflection on me and my life choices, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I, I kind of, I feel, I feel that way. I mean, but Jose Reyes, I was kind of over him uh, when he, Left, um, I, I was like, you know, he, of all places that he goes to, he goes to the Marlins. You knew he wasn't going there to win, I, and and not that he doesn't, he didn't deserve money. Like, of course, he needs to get paid. Um, but from there, it was just, it was kind of funny. But the the irony is, if you look at like he, I remember when he played in Toronto, he had like a horrific ankle injury, if I remember correctly. I want to say it was twenty. 13, I want to say it happened. Um, and then, it, it, but it was funny because once these injury prone players like Carlos Beltran, Jose Reyes, they leave the team and they would they, like, you think about their time with the Mets and you're like, wow, they were always hurt. They were, they're an injury liability. And then they leave the Mets and they're perfectly healthy. It pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you, and all right. I, I think, I think Jose Reyes' days might be numbered. I think as as the the, you know, the the ship starts to take on more water, 
they're going to look to jettison any dead weight, and um, I think he is viewed as dead weight. So I would not be surprised if he's gone soon. And it, it, it's it's sad, but I, I Reyes, unlike Harvey, because Harvey's a pitcher, you know, and that's such a commodity. Um, I think Harvey might latch on somewhere. You know, people might want to fix him. I'm not sure Reyes could. I think they're going to look at. Mm-hmm. He looks so bad, so bad when he's swinging at nothing up there, and popping up in the weak contact, and it's like, oh my. God, this guy used to be so good. Um, all right, let's move to another yeah, one in our work. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, as, as he gets older, the, the legs are going to go, and then it's like, is he really Jose Reyes without the speed? So, it's, yeah, it's sad. That it is. That it is. So let's go to another perplexing character on this Mets roster. Um, what are your thoughts on Wilmer Flores? I love him. <laughs> Um, we, we kind of have like a little bit of a Wilmer Flores fan club in my house, not like no joking. Um, I don't think he is a super duper star. I think if you look at him for the, you know, the type of role that he plays, he's going to be a utility player. He's going to have a little bit of pop in his bat and he, he has a flair for the dramatic and he loves being a Met. Um, so I, I kind of, I'm very pro Wilmer. In fact, you know, if the best do cut ties with Adrian Gonzalez and they're kind of like, just do like, you know, the quick and dirty with him and just cut him outright. I would kind of like to see, uh, see, uh, to see Flores out there more. I think, well, I think you would see that naturally, right? If Gonzalez goes, you're going to see more of Flores and statistically, and, you know, Ed, check me on this one, but statistically, I believe Flores is actually hitting right-handers better than left-handers this year, which is an anomaly for him. But um, mm-hmm. but he's showing that he could hit both sides. He can hit against both. And if Gonzalez goes, the immediate beneficiary clearly is Flores. And, um, and, and you know, Flores is, is an intriguing character to me because I've always felt, and, and I know I feel bad saying this because you just said you have a Flores fan club in your house. I like Wilmer <laughs> Flores. Sure, a birthday. I mean, my God, right? So, so not the same year, of course, <laughs> the same day. And, no, um, no. We sure, no, no, not at all the same year. And, um, but the thing about Flores is he, he wa- everything you said, he wants to be a Met, nice young man, all that stuff. But I've, and I don't dislike him, but I've always felt that his best value to the Mets would be actually if they traded him to an American League team and he could play, it would be better for him. He could play as a DH, or he's a DH when he's not DH. He can play first or somewhere on the infield. The Mets, he actually might have value because he, he can really hit, and he might bring back something that the Mets could use. You know, sometimes you trade a guy not because you want to get rid of him or because he's a bad guy. You trade a guy because he doesn't, as much as you might like him, he he he's not right for you. And I've always mm-hmm. felt that Flores, as much as he loves being here. Look at what they do to this poor guy. One day he's playing second. One day he's playing first. He might play third. He might pinch hit. It's okay. You, you, you can on the, the, the optimist says that's versatility. The pessimist says he doesn't have a role. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm not, I have nothing against the guy. And, um, but I do think he's – isn't he kind of like an Adrian Gonzalez in the sense that uh, – not for the same reason, but in the sense that we haven't really figured out what we want to do with this guy yet. <laughs> he just, you know what I mean? He doesn't have a defined yeah, role. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. And I think that that's sort of uh, like where, you know, may, maybe like our frustrations with figuring out where Wilmer's going to fit in goes. Um, 
because when the Mets started, like, picking up, like, you know, Jay Bruce can play first base. You know, he's not a primary first baseman, but it was, like, that was part of the plan. And then they get Adrian Gonzalez, also a first baseman, Wilmer Flores, who can also play first. Um, I, I, I don't really know you know, what, what their big plans are. And it seems like the Mets, like, never really, you know, they, they signed him, what, when he was, like, 17 years old. He could barely speak English. And now yep. he's, like, saying, yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of the Friends show. <laughs> and, you know, he's, like, he's cute, and we all love him. And, um, you know, he, he's very very charming in New York media. But you're you're right. I mean, it does, it does come um come to a point where you're like, what are we going to do with this guy um, to see, you know, see him maybe succeed someplace else. Um, but I, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, have the Mets like kind of pigeonholed him into like thinking he's just a utility guy. He's just an off the bench bat. He's just, you know, like it, it, it's, I, I, I it, the Mets have never really done well with developing their talent to, uh, it kind of it kind of make them the guy, you know what I mean? Like they they have to go someplace else usually to make that shit happen. It's never what the Mets. Fair point, fair point, and that has happened. And you know, you and I have been fans long enough to know that that has not happened just once. It's happened often where they've gone somewhere else and found <laughs> themselves. Much to our chagrin, yep. right? Now, um, <laughs> one more, one one more word association, and then we'll move on. Um, so this is one that. Again, you can tell there's a theme here. People who frustrate the living hell out of me. So um, we'll go with Stephen Matz. We'll go with Stephen Matz this time around. Here's a guy that when he came up, I mean, I loved him. I mean, that's just the grandfather and, and all that. Not, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is I saw a new John Matlack. I saw a guy who kind of, to me, looked like Matlack, kind of had the same way of, of approaching the game, same pitching style, left-handed, this guy is going to be great. This guy is going to be a Met forever, and he's going to be a left-handed stalwart in the rotation. And then he he uh, does well in 15. He starts game four against the Cubs, and he wasn't great, but he was good enough. They gave him a big lead, and, you know, he didn't fritter it away, which is good. Um, and he did well in the World Series. He You know, he did quite well against, against the Royals in his start in, in game four. So, okay, but then – all this shit starts happening with this guy. He can't stay on the field. And and maybe injuries, you know, not maybe, may, injuries are not his fault. But this emotional crap that he goes through on the field, the pouting, you know, the looks like, you know, looking like uh, the kid who just asked the girl to prom and she said no every time something goes wrong. You know, it's like, dude, grow a pair. You know, I mean, be a man out there and, and, and don't be such a, don't be so fragile. So he's, to me, he's incredibly frustrating. What are your thoughts on Stephen Matz? Uh, I say that Stephen Matz is Jonathan Neese with a cooler grandpa. Um, <laughs> and this is coming from somebody who, I, I and I, I say I was a Jonathan Neese fangirl. I defended him until his very last day with the Mets. Um you know, even when he got hurt, even when he was saying stupid shit, even when he was, you know, kind of like throwing the defense under the bus. Because, like, the thing about Jonathan Neese is that he was honest, you know, and that was kind of was like, you can't be honest about the team, only we can criticize our team. You're not allowed to. Um, 
Stephen Mass is doing kind of the same thing, but he's got a cool grandpa and he's from Long Island, so he gets a pass. Um, I find I find him to be incredibly frustrating. Um, I don't know if it's just kind of like years of injuries because he was injury prone before he came to the big club. Um, it took him forever to make it to the majors, and when he did, he had a great game, and we all loved him for it. Um, I feel like we kind of give him a pass because of that, and because if the Mets didn't make it to the playoffs, would we be looking at him in a different light? Um, I, I think we would. You, know, you mentioned the, the game that he didn't further away the lead. Um, the other night, he which trying to lose. <laughs> um, and I, I do, I do get a, a little frustrated with him, but now that Harvey's not there, what are we going to do? You know, we can't really get rid of him. Um, kind of have to like ride this horse, you know, until it's ready for the glue factory, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't have a lot of flexibility now. I mean, they don't, you know, they need Wheeler. They need mats. They need, um, obviously DeGrom Syndergaard, which I, I said it where we were done with word association. So this would be like a, I'll try to call this something else. So I don't want to be a liar, but, but to, to give me a couple of words on Jason Vargas. <laughs> couple of nasty words. <laughs> terrible. That's, that's what I'll, I'll say in the Charles Barkley boy. Terrible, terrible. I, I, it's like, I mean, human white flag. Just forfeit. That's easier. Just, just forfeit the game that he starts. So just call him forfeit. That's that's my word association with him. And you know they're paying him sixteen million bloody dollars for two years. It's like, and here's the thing. Here's the thing that frustrates me the most about him is today I'm hearing Mickey, or it might have been yesterday, I'm hearing Mickey say, well. You know, Jason has to be perfect. Duh. The guy throws 86 miles an hour. This is not a surprise to anyone. This is who this guy is, right? And you sign him, and I'll say it again, $16 million for two seasons. A guy who, if he isn't razor sharp exactly where the ball needs to be, he's pitching batting practice. I'm sorry. That's batting practice at that speed. And mm-hmm. and so – you're, you're, you're t- none of a, not one human being is perfect. You're basically saying this guy's got to be perfect. How the hell this guy was 18 and six last year? I think I don't know, but he clearly had a bad, you know, bad second half. And and you're relying. It's like you're. It's like playing the lottery. You know what I mean? It's like well, we're going to gamble mm-hmm. that this guy could be perfect enough. Which yes, we know conceptually is not really possible, but we're going to gamble that it's going to happen, and we're going to give this guy all this money. I mean, come on, guys. You know, Sandy, this one's on you. I'm sorry. It is. It, it is. And I, I just want to say that um, Ed passed me a um, a tweet he had a couple of days ago um, tie, tying into Vargas. So this is what he has to say about that. These are the highest ERAs for Mets pitchers who made at least five career starts for the team. Five, David Williams. Do you remember him, a starter in 2006? David Williams had a 7.83 ERA. Four, Chris Flexen, we know who he is, 7.88 ERA. Three, Colin McHugh, 8.26 ERA. Two, Tommy Malone, 8.56 ERA. One, Jason Vargas, 13.10 ERA. you got to be kidding me, dude. That's, that's not pitching. You're absolutely right. It is batting practice. 
And, you know, you just said something that I, I think I felt a drop of sweat in my forehead when you said it. When you said Tommy Malone, I w- I'm like, oh, my God, that guy again. And you're, I never thought of the analogy. I don't know why I didn't, but Vargas is the reincarnation of Tommy Malone, a guy who throws junk, right? A lefty who yeah. throws junk, who somehow, some way, won some games somehow in his career. And the only difference is the Mets gave Malone nothing, and he sucked. They're, they're locked into this guy, and, and in typical Metsian logic, the fact that they're paying him $16 million, you know damn well is going to mitigate getting rid of him or, or spending that money somewhere else. And, and it's just like, Sandy, what are you doing? Why didn't he give Arietta that money for one year? Well, let, let me, let me one-up you there. Right? You're talking about Tommy Malone. You know that the reason I have a drinking problem is because of Jose Lima. And oh, God. The only reason Jose Lima wasn't on that list is because he only made four starts for the Mets. And he his ERA was under 10. So if you think about that, like, Jason Vargas is worse than Jose Lima. Why am I not being treated for alcohol poisoning right now? I hear you. I don't know. <laughs> let, let me, before we move on to other things, let, let me tell you one thing about Jose Lima. That's the reason why I, I don't dislike him as much is that there one time when he was a Met, he was only met for a few starts in 16, um, 2006, excuse me, he was on with um, sideline reporter time, Chris Cotter. And so he was on, and David Wright came by. I don't know if it was planned or spontaneous. It was before the game on the field interview. Lima wasn't pitching that day. And so he's saying something to Chris Cotter on air. And then David Wright comes by, gets in the camera shot, and Lima looks at him and he goes, goes oh, David Wright, always critis- always making fun of my English. And David looked at him and he goes, you call that English? And then he just walked away. And I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other one, this is terrible, but the other, my other favorite David Wright line it was when Ryan Church had the concussion. And I don't think they realized at the time how serious it was. It, it had a big impact on his career. But when the Mets got home, because they went from Atlanta to Colorado, and they came home after that, when they were home, he was on, David was on, and they said something like, um, you know, have you been, how's Ryan Church doing? He goes, Ryan's the only guy who could be in the parking lot asking for directions. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Oh, no. Oh, my <laughs> that's God. So yeah, well, I, that's I, undavid like, I, I mean, I, I use Ryan Church as an example of the ready, fire, aim uh, medical <laughs> team with the Mets. It's like they flew a guy with a brain injury to high altitudes. What the fuck were they thinking? You know, how how do they not, like, contact, you know, the head trainer for the New York Giants or the New York Rangers in sports that they actually do have a concussion protocol? It, it was that, oh, my God. I, I, I still get so angry when I think about that. But, uh, oh. So we're watching the ASCAB uh, game from last year. So, oh, my God, uh, two years ago. Yeah, how great was that? Speaking of Reyes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah well, yeah. speaking of Reyes, ASCAP wouldn't have got as that bad if it wasn't for Reyes tying it in the ninth, right? But, um, yeah. but then again, fond memories. So, all right, we have a couple things left to do. We don't have much time. We're down to about 20 minutes. A couple things left to do that then we'll call the night. So, um, Here's what I want to do next. I wanted to ask you, are the Mets done? Like, is, are we seeing 
the, were the true Mets 12 and 2? Are the true Mets 8 and 16? I'm sorry, 6 and um, do the math on this one. So they were 12 and 2. So they're 6 and 15 since 15. then. Um, are the true Mets the 11, the 12 and 2 version, the shitty current version, something in the middle? Are they done? Do they still have life? And what are they going to do? Like, are they going to be sellers? Are they going to get back in this thing and be buyers? What's going to happen? Well, I, I mean, I think it's somewhere in the middle. We have to remember something that this, it, to, to take a, a cliche about baseball, it's that it is a marathon and it's not a sprint. And it's only May 10th. Um, this weekend, I think, will provide a little bit of clarity as to how the Mets are and how, you know, they're, if the Phillies are even as good as they've been playing, because I, I personally think that they've been playing over their heads. Um, but as far as the Mets go, I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I don't think, you know, they're the, the 12 and 2 team, they might have a good run of things somewhere in the middle of the season. And, they, you know, the thing, the, you know, the factors with, like, the 2015 and the 2016 team is they had really good streaks um, of winning. So I, I think that there is, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And, I mean, as far as being sellers or buyers, I mean, I, I think that they could flip a few pieces here and there for, you know, for some value. But I don't – I think that it's a little too early to tell that personally right now. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think this we I do think the Phillies are playing over their heads. By the way, I mean, yes, they have Arietta, and you know, Nola's decent, um, and they have some exciting players. Let's face it, you know, I've always liked Cesar Hernandez, and and when the Mets when there was talk that the Mets could get that guy, I was like, hmm, second baseman, guy, a little speed, all that. Of course, that didn't happen. So they have him, you know, Odubel Herrera. As much as his head seems to be squarely up his ass most of the time, he is he is talented. So they have a decent team. Um, and it will be an interesting weekend. You know, the, the Mets can't go in there and embarrass themselves. They've got to take two out of three. They've, and I don't give a shit how you do it. I don't care if you have to cheat. Just go in there and take two out of three because <laughs> you cannot come home. Right? I don't care what you have to do. You, you cannot come home two and four road trip or, God forbid, a one and five road trip. You've got to go in there. You've got to take two and three. So at least you could say that you had a three and three road trip, which is not good considering that you played through them against the Reds. But – Get it done, guys. You know, find a way. Find a way like you did when you played Miami earlier in the season. Find a way like you did when you played uh, when you played Philadelphia at City. You know, get it done, and and just stop the shit and just go out there and get it done. Um, so that that's my take on that. So, all right. So a couple more things here. Sam asked me. You know, this is our tenth episode of a Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. So Sam is big on numbers. So we're going to do a couple things. Uh, in a minute, I'm going to ask you, we're going to take a look at the people who have worn number 10 for the Mets. And you could pick one, two, five, and just say a couple words about any anyone you want. Um, so, But what, before we do that, what I'm going to do is Sam's big on, Sam and Mike are both big on historical baseball. And so they like to go to, to the number corresponding to the episode and take a look at what was going on. So for 1910, going way, way back, um, the New York Giants were, let's see, the New York Giants in 1910 were 91-63 and, and finished 
second in the National League, second out of eight teams. No, oh, that's that's disappointing. Ninety-one, because then you you had to be in in first place and played the first place team in the American League in the World Series or in no playoffs, of course. So, Giants must have been a bit disappointed that they went ninety-one and sixty-three. It only finished in second place, so that's not so not not so good. Um, and then the Yankees were not the Yankees then. Let's remember the Yankees were the New York Highlanders, yeah. and 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 uh, and our friend Steve Keen still refers to them as the New York Highlanders, right? So the uh, the Yankees, uh, the Highlanders, were eighty eight and sixty three that year. Um, so not a bad year. So you know New York baseball was looking pretty good. And then I believe the Brooklyn team was not called the Dodgers then. I think it was still called the Brooklyn Superbas. So let me take a look at that and see, okay. if, I could, uh, see if I could pull them up. Um, yep. So, all right. They fin- oh boy, they finished sixty-four and ninety. Oh. So, of that's not good at all. So, of the uh, three New York teams, two of them in nineteen ten had a good year, um, though not playoff teams. It's still very good years. I'm sure their fans were in a good mood. Um, and, and, the Brook- and the Brooklyn Superbas did not do quite so well. So, Sam and Mike, I know this is clearly your thing, that you guys enjoy that um, quite a bit when we do it, and I wanted to um, acknowledge that and, and do that on this version of the podcast. So that's New York baseball in 1910. So let's go to Mets who have worn number 10. Um, so let's take a look here. So what Sam usually does is, is he'll read the list, the, the complete list, and then uh, comment on a few. But I'm going to ask you to comment first, Coop, and I'll take the ones that you don't. So let's okay. see. I'm, gonna read, uh, I'm not going to read the full list because I've always found that to be a little too long. I'm just going to highlight a few people. So um, Rod Keneal, of course, that was in the early 60s. Nobody knows who this guy was. I've heard his name, but who the hell was he? Who knows? Um, Duffy Dyer is the first one I remember wearing number 10. Okay. Rusty right. Staub, I mean, my God, you know, yeah. God rest his soul. Um, Kelvin Chapman, I know, is um, uh, is a favorite of yours uh, from uh, Sharon Chapman. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, maybe you might want to comment on him. My all-time yeah. favorite Mets in my top ten, Dave Magadan. Love the guy. Oh. Uh, Ray Ordonez. I have a feeling Coop might have a few words to say about him. So, um, and Andy Chavez. So, Coop, the floor is yours. Any of those uh, that you might want to say a few words about, go ahead. All right. Uh, well, first, first you mentioned Rod Camille. Uh, like, like you, I, I don't know much about him. Um, he was one of the original Mets. But um, in I don't know if you ever watched the video in Amazing Era on the uh, 25th anniversary of the Mets. Um, there I did. There was a song on all the third basemen in the Mets, and – there was a, a line um, and it was, um, look at Dan Napoleon. You might notice the last name, the first name. It's like Amos Otis, like Ed, Charles, Frank Thomas, Charlie Nia, or Kevin Mitchell, but not Rod Keneal. So I always thought that was hilarious that they were able to work Rod Keneal in that, <laughs> into that little rhyme, um, you know, going for, you know, the guys who have like the first names and last names that, you know, are first names and last names. So, so that that's my thing with, with Rod Keel, Hot Rod Keel. Um, Duffy Dyer, I know he, you know, he was one of the '69 Mets. So I know that you know a lot of the the old school Mets fans they really love him. Rusty Staub, come on, 
he was the guy. I actually met Rusty Staub one year. Um, I went to, every year the Mets have a welcome home dinner that's uh, given by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Foundation. And I accidentally, <laughs> you're going to like this one, I got my seating arrangement mixed up with George Foster's. Okay, now you met me. I don't look like George Foster. Nope, <laughs> so, not at all. Clearly, I am not meant to be at this table, but I got to sit next to Rusty Staub for a few minutes, and I'm like, hey, yeah, Rusty Staub. Like, I told him my one of my fondest memories of him when I was a kid was Thanks Rusty Day in 1986 when the Mets came out in red wigs, you know, to celebrate La Grande Orange. And, um, I remember he was a little confused because he's like, why is this fan girl, <laughs> you know, sitting next to me? So there's that. Uh, so let's talk about Kelvin Chapman. So you mentioned that um, my friend, my dear friends, Kevin and Sharon Chapman, in 2011, uh, we, Ed and I did our baseball trip to the ballpark at Arlington in, in Texas. And it was very hot there. And they don't really, like, check your tickets like the Mets police too at, uh, at City Field, like, they just kind of let you go, and it's very hot. It's an outdoor stadium. Texas is notoriously hot. So we kind of just moved around. So it was me and Ed and the Chapmans and their son, Ross. Now, Kevin Chapman wore his Chapman 10 jersey because, you know, Calvin Chapman, he was a Met, and that's his name, and that, isn't that great? We sit in front of Howie Rose's booth, and this was a this was a Fox game, so we thought like we our Twitter mine and Ed's Twitter starts blowing up. Actually, Ed, Ed didn't have his phone with him, so with my Twitter, people were like, "So are you guys sitting in front of the radio booth?" And we were like, "Yeah, are we on TV?" They're like, "No, Howie Rose is talking about you." So apparently, Howie Rose honed in on this Kelvin Chapman jersey. And starts talking about it, and all of our friends who are listening to the game are like, oh, my God, that's Coop and the Chapman. You know? so, um, we ended up having to tell Howie, you know, what the story was behind the jersey, and it's very funny, and now Howie never forgot us. Uh, so it's um, so that's kind of kind of my tie-in with Kelvin Chapman. Love Dave Magadan, too. Um, I remember his, his breakout game in 86 uh, with the clincher. And then, you know, he became kind of a, a mainstay in the 90s. Uh, who did we go? Okay, so you said Ray Ordonez. I'm actually going to talk about Ray Sanchez, um, who was right below that. Uh, I'm, I'm actually cheating and using the uh, Mets by the Numbers site. Ray Sanchez was one of the notorious Mets a few years ago. I did the, uh, the 50 most notorious Mets, and he made the list simply because of a haircut that he got <laughs> in the dugout during a game. So if you think playing cards during a playoff game is bad, getting a haircut when your team sucks is just as bad to most, uh, to most Mets fans. And um, I believe the, the last one was Andy Chavez. Uh, funny story about the catch, because that's going to be the thing that forever links Andy Chavez to the Mets, is the catch. That was in Game 7 of the 06 NLCS. And the Cardinals were up, and I remember sitting there, and I'm thinking, as a woman and as a fan and as somebody who likes to drink beer, I have to kind of time my bathroom visits. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck in line. 
I remember saying right before the catch at bat, I said, you know what, whatever happens here, I'm probably not going to want to see it because I was pretty sure that a run was going to score for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it had to do with Oliver Perez being on the mound. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to hit the head real quick. Before I even make it to the bathroom, I hear this explosion of cheers. I'm like, what the fuck is going on out there? Like, you know, the Mets weren't batting, so I know it wasn't a home run. And I know what I'm like, what could have happened? So I run up the well and I run into this guy. I'm like, what happened out there? And he goes, and I was I understood what he was saying, but I had I didn't physically see the catch until the next day when I saw it in the papers, and I was at that game. So <laughs> that's my my tie-in with Andy Chavez. Great story. I didn't you know as long as I've known you, you've never told me that story about um, oh. how I didn't know any of that. That you were at, I knew you were at the game, but I I didn't know that you missed the catch to. Uh, take care of a human need there and, and uh, you didn't actually yeah. see a lot. And, and it was, I mean, it was mostly because I didn't want to miss the next inning. And it turned out that I could have just gone the next inning because nothing happened the next half of the inning anyway. Um, you know, leaving the bases loaded and uh, my post-traumatic nuts disorder just kicks in and, and that's that. So <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I have, and I must say to our listeners that Coop has coined the term, PTMD, post-traumatic mess disorder, which I think is terrible. I think that's precious about how we sit here, you know, on a cold winter night when maybe you're having a quiet moment, all of a sudden a bad thing, there are so many bad things that have happened, something pops in your mind, you're just like, oh, oh, oh. it's like flashbacks. Um, so let me go on a couple of these folks, and after we do this, Coop, it'll be time for the last word, believe it or not. Our time is, com- is coming quickly to an end. So I'm just going to comment on a couple of them. Duffy Dyer, I'll I'll say a couple words about him. He was the quintessential backup catcher. I mean, Duffy Dyer was the great defensive catcher with a great arm, tough guy attitude from Texas, the whole thing. Couldn't really hit. Every now and then he'd get a big hit, and you knew that, you know, that when Duffy was out there, you were going to get a solid defensive game, probably a black hole in the lineup, but that was okay. You loved Duffy Dyer. I loved Duffy Dyer as a kid. So um, so that's Duffy. Um, Dave Magadan, as much as I love Keith Hernandez to this day, I love him as a player. Of course, he's, my, uh, he's in my top three all time. He's number two after Seaver and just before Rusty. Um, he's a, so... When Keith left, the only thing that made me feel okay with it was that Dave Magadan was waiting in the wings. And I, Magadan to me was a baby Hernandez. Maybe not quite, certainly not quite as good around the bag because nobody's as good as Keith, um, but still a good defender, line drive hitter, you know, a little bit of power like Keith, all fields. And I said to myself, we're going to be fine with this guy. This guy's a hitting machine. And, and it turned out he was. He wasn't necessarily as a Met, and to your previous point about people who go elsewhere and do well, Magadan would be one of those guys. You know, he, did, he was okay as a Met. He certainly didn't embarrass himself, but he went on to have a solid career. He became the Red Sox hitting coach. You know, good guy, all of that. Love Dave Magadan. And I have to make the last one, Rusty. Um, you know, Rusty is in my top three of all time. When the Mets had no offense, in the early and mid-70s, all pitching, Rusty was the guy. He was the only guy who was a, a reasonable offensive player. 
you know, Milner, they sure they had Milner and, and, um, and a couple of other hitters, but Rusty was the guy first met to drive in a hundred runs. Um, you know, all the charitable work he's done and, uh, and then, you know, losing him at a, at a still a fairly young age, um, this year. So when I think of number 10 with the Mets, so those other guys are great, you know, Andy, all that stuff, but nobody, it's, it's Rusty's number. Um, even though he was number four in his first go around, um, it's Rusty. And if, and so Coop, before you do the last word, if the Mets could have two statues, Mike LaCollin must be listening somewhere. If the Mets could have <laughs> two statues outside City Field, who are your two statues? Who are they? Oh, well, one is obviously Seaver. Um, you know, I, I, I think it would just be Seaver and Piazza right now. Um, you know, Gil Hodges, too, I think, like, uh, we were just in, in Kansas City, and um, they have statues of, of their retired number players. So obviously, George Brett back there, uh, Frank White, and uh, Dick Hauser. And the Dick Hauser statue, like, I, I often said that um, Dick Hauser was my first memorable baseball death. I mean, that, that's so, so macabre. But um, I remember vividly, like, when he got sick and when he passed away. And... The, the statue of him is, you know, of him, like, leaning, you know, with his foot up in the dugout. And I I think Gil Hodges, like, when you hear the 69 Mets talk, they often talk about his quiet leadership. Um, but, you know, I would have to say that if it's just two statues, that we would have to go with the Hall of Fame Mets, the, you know, Beaver and Piazza. They're our guys. That's you know what? That's a great answer, and there obviously there's no wrong answer. It's just your opinion, anyone's opinion. And to me, um, it has to be Seaver, you know, the franchise. And it kind of stops right there, full stop, as we say. And love Mike Piazza, love Keith Hernandez, but I got to go with Rusty for the statue because mm-hmm. what he did in the '73 World Series, uh, you know, with a basically a broken shoulder that he broke, you know, running into a wall to catch a ball. Um, he, that, the fact that he was the best offensive player on the team for years, but above, above and beyond all of that, the charitable work. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, if you want to point to someone and say, that's a good guy, that's a guy who was a professional athlete, but yet was always nice to fans. He met, I met him as well. You know, my daughter, uh, she doesn't remember, but she met him at a very young age. Uh, we were at a minor league game, and he was there doing some charitable work, and just a gracious man. And everybody, you know, Mike and, and Sam and I have talked about our encounters with Rusty, and nice to everyone. Um, but above and beyond all of that, all of the stuff, you know, the Widows Foundation for the New York City cops and firefighters, and and uh, just a good soul and a great player. And I would love to see the Mets acknowledge him. I would not be mad, as they to use the term. If they um, if they did Piazza and Seaver or Hernandez and Seaver, they're all good choices. Gun to my head, I'm going with Rusty, but I certainly understand any other choices. Um, okay, time for the last word. Um, so we usually do this, Cooper. We give uh, anyone, Sam, Mike, and I do it, and, and any guests, chance it doesn't have to be one word, a word, a phrase, whatever, that you'd like to leave people with. So um, I will turn to you and... Ask you for a last word tonight. 
even. I I would. Um, I mean, it sounds cliche. Um, we still have a very young season, and I know it's it's very messian uh, to tie into this podcast to be uh, down uh, with how they're playing. I mean, it it has been fun to watch, but. Um, don't stop believing that something good can can come out of this. I mean, this weekend, I, I'm actually looking forward to to seeing this series this weekend. Um, but you know what? If things don't turn out well, we all have each other. And you know, as as my friend Jason likes to say, Mets Twitter is almost like Mets therapy, and it's Mets therapy for post traumatic Mets disorder. So that's. Uh, that's where I am right now with my last words. Great one. Great. I like it. Tying into the song and the whole thing. Uh, mine will be, um, yeah, mine is, is similar. Uh, my phrase is, you know, don't quit yet. Let's not give up, Mets fans. I know that it's easy to do. The lineup thing is just like the final kick in the pants um, to a lot of people. They're losing. Uh, you know, the lineup thing, it looks really bad. It's not going to stay this bad. They're not, you know, they're clearly not a 6-15 and 15 team. Nobody is. Nobody's that bad. So they're, it's going to get better. I think it's going to get a lot better. Uh, Cespedes isn't going to have a pulled quad, you know, be playing at half speed all year. Um, so let's not give up. Let's stick with the team. Let, let's think about the 12-2 and two start and know that it's in them and, and hope to get that back. So, Coop, I will say yeah. to you it's been way too long since we've had a chance to sit down and talk baseball. This has been an absolute blast for me. I'd like to thank you for joining me on a Metzian podcast this evening. Um, and let's not wait so long to do it again, okay? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm down whenever you guys want. And let me know the next time you're going to be at City Field because I owe you a beer. Well, actually, I owe you a beer for coming on and keeping me entertained because I would have had to carry this whole show alone, and nobody wants that. So, um, so <laughs> And, and uh, please give my best regards to your statistician. And, um, again, thank you on behalf of Sam and Mike and myself. Have a great night. And as Sam always likes to close the show, let's go Mets. Have a great night. Let's, let's go Mets. Bye now.